What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Oh, hey, and welcome to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. First up, John Taylor of Sports Illustrated. It's been a few weeks, man. It has. It has been. It has been too long since I've been able to grace the airwaves. I guess they're not really airwaves. They're podcast. Waves. You're asking the wrong person. I don't know if I'd be able to explain what an airwave was. Mm. Earbuds, headphones. Can I tell you that I'm a stickler for that? It drives me nuts when people say headphones and they mean earbuds. Yeah, I actually, I just got a new pair of the the Apple ones, the AirPods, because, yeah, I got tired of dealing with a little lightning dongle thing, so I have a normal pair of uh, earbuds, and I just keep referring to them as, like, earpods. Because I'm, I'm just I've, okay. I've reached that stage of life and age where I can no longer refer to pieces of technology by their correct name. It's it yeah. all just ends up being this kind of hodgepodge of like words that I think are correct. So, mm. but I, I feel you on the headphones, earbuds, AirPods, headbuds, whatever. I'm, I'm doing I, it. Like again. headphones are great. Like I love my headphones. I'm wearing them right now to record this podcast. But you know what? When I'm walking around or if I'm out in public, I have earbuds in. They're different. Headphones cover your head. That's what they mean. Words yeah, have they, meaning. They John. go on they go on the head and the earbuds go in the ear. And so Right. But yeah, I feel like headphones at this point has become a catch all term for things you put into or over your ear to listen to something. Exactly. It just it's all encompassing. It makes things easier. But you know what? Let's stop dumbing stuff down. I'm taking a stand right here, John. I mean, I, I, I am I am with you on this as a as a pedantic word mm. person. I, I I support right. you. I support you in this endeavor. What does Fisher think? He's going to be the deciding vote here, even though we're on the same side. So there is no split here. But I always like to get Fisher's input if possible. He is sleeping on the floor, so I don't think he even I, I don't think he knows what's mm. going on right now. So I'm I'm going to put him on our side though. Let's. Okay, good. Um, how is he handling? Uh, the long postseason run right now. He's, he's doing good. Boston Red Sox. It's, okay. He's doing all right. I think I scared him a little bit with my reaction to Andrew Benintendi's catch at the end of game four because he was already sleeping mm. in his little crate. And, you know, that was a very dramatic moment and a very dramatic game. But it seems like he's doing okay. Um, he's, unlike the rest of us, he is not staying up to watch the ends of these very long and very late games. He's just calling it a night early. But seems like he's enjoying himself. Yeah. So we have to talk about this, John. I need your expert Major League Baseball take on the uh, the home run by Jose Altuve, or not the not the home run. Like I don't even know what to call it. Do we call it a home run? Do we call it a rob? Do we call? Um, I, I I have no idea what to describe what happened there. But I will say my immediate reaction when I saw this. This is like the the equivalent to like the Jesse James reversal in the Pats game last year where it like on first glance, you're like, Oh, that's clearly a touchdown. And then the replay and you're like, Oh, well with the rules, 
I don't think that's a touchdown. And you're all like, I don't even know what a touchdown is anymore. And when I saw this, I was like, okay, I think that's a home run. I think we should always give like, I, I think we should give the benefit of the doubt to the hitter in this situation. But I get why Mookie Betts would be um, pissed off about it. And I get the whole weird aspect of the fan interaction being in play here and whether they should leap over and all that kind of stuff, if they should get in the way. But I think once it touches a fan or anything like that, I think you give it to him. I think it's just a home run. I think it should have been a home run. I know you're a Red Sox fan. I know um, you were happy about this, but um, were you able to decipher whether or not um, John, the Red Sox fan, wanted it to obviously not be a home run, but did John, the great baseball writer, say, you know what, I think that's actually a home run for Jose Altuve? I, I will preface by saying I'm really glad I'm not an umpire, and in particular, I'm really glad I'm not uh, the umpire who had to make this call, on, in, uh, that being Joe West. I I think, because to me, if you're going to call fan interference on that, and keeping in mind that the definition of fan interference by the rules of baseball is not just a fan gets in the way. A fan has to reach out onto the field of play and interact with the ball or the fielder or whatever it is in such a way as to disrupt the fielder from making the play that he otherwise would have been able to make because he was in the field of play. With all that in mind, I don't know how you could have seen enough proof there that um, whichever fan it was, be it one fan or a group of them, were enough or even on interrupting into the field of play to make that fan interference. Uh, that to me is the biggest thing. I certainly, I, I, you know, that was a unique situation that you do not normally see. Um, you know, I know we, we did not get a clear video angle of, of whether or not that fan, that particular fan or any other fan reached over past the wall and got in Mookie Betts' way, which, which is honestly is to me kind of crazy that there's one camera positioned along that wall and, you know, security guard, um, gets in the way of, and we don't have any other way of, of, of seeing that there's no other camera, no other angle, which is just kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, cause I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any argument that anyone's going to make that a fan got in the way of Mookie Betts and prevented him from making that catch. If, if there had been no fans in that section or, or if there'd been like a, a, a row of some sort, like a, like a, they do a nationals part where they have a little flower bed thing. Uh, between the first row of seats and the wall. If there had been something in the way there to prevent a fan from getting in there, I don't think there's any doubt Mookie Betts would have made that catch. He had it lined up perfectly. He timed his jump perfectly. Um, I think he would have caught it, and that would have been one of the greatest catches ever in a playoff game, but regardless. You can't argue that a fan got in the way, but you can definitely argue mm-hmm. that a fan got in the way in such a way as to make it fan interference. And I, I mean, there's no way to say for sure because we don't have the right angle. But I don't, to me at least, regardless of whether or not we have the the right angle for it, I don't see how Joe West could have seen that. It, it, so it, doesn't it like go back to that ending of like you know Ty? Because basically, what you just laid out there is like we didn't we don't have the best angle to determine whether or not it's one way or the other. So how do we like what should we have done um, if it is a tie? If it's that unclear, who who deserves the benefit that out there the the guy making the great play? Um, in the outfield, or the guy who hit the ball out of the ballpark? I probably would have sided with Altuve if only because I think fan interference needs to be crystal clear. It needs to be, you need to be able to see the fan uh, interfering with something on the field of play. 
And I think in kind of a little weird, like gray area like that, where the fan did get in the way, but you could argue that, you know, it seemed like everything happened in the stands and Mookie Betts, his right as a fielder does not extend indefinitely into the seat. Um, and I think at that point you probably default and say it's a home run. I think the compromise there, and I'm surprised it didn't reach was just a ground rule double. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, really think I don't necessarily know if that's something that you could even do based on the rules. I don't know if Joe West and the rest of the umpires could have just come together and said, uh, you know, what screw it. We'll just call it a ground rule double and, and just, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, I am kind of surprised that wasn't the case just because, you know, it, it clearly was a catch interfered with, but not in the way that is normally that qualifies, I think, for fan interference. It just seems, it just to me, it just seems silly that a ball can be hit there into the stands and it does not count as a home run. Somehow. Not only does it not count as a home run, but it also results in an out. And that to me is just kind of the silliest part of all of it that, you know, 99 times out of 100, that's a home run. If not 100 times out of 100, that's a home run. Um, and for it to be kind of hand waved away because Joe West of, of all the, of course, of all the people, it has to be Joe West managed to see an angle where he believes a fan interfered in the field of play just kind of strikes me as silly. Like I, I understand everything umpires do is essentially a judgment call. Um, I guess with the exception of safer out, but that to me just feels like you, you, you almost have to err on the side of just kind of logic, you know? Where yeah. it's like, unless your gut reaction, like what, do you remember what you felt when you, when he first hit it? Do you remember like what your immediate reaction was? I, I thought it was a home run. I thought even with the way okay. Mookie Betts went up for it, I thought it had hit off a fan and bounced back into the field of play. And uh, that's what I think the umpire should have done. Like what was their immediate reaction? Okay. Home run. Good. Done. Well, done that's deal. the thing. Joe West, because Joe West's immediate reaction was fan interference. That's what kept it yeah. from becoming a home Which run. Which is because... weird. That should not be your immediate and that, reaction. And that's the thing. Like like, that unless, I, yeah. Unless it's, so plainly obvious, like so like visibly like Steve Bartman level obvious or Jeffrey Mayer. Well, the irony being that Jeffrey Mayer was plain as day fan interference that the umpires somehow missed. Um, unless it's something so obvious like that, I feel like you kind of have to just err on the side of, well, that's a home run and it sucks. that Mookie best yeah. got interrupted for making that catch, but Hey, that's what happens when you go into the stands. You know, the fans aren't just going to part like they're not going to part like the red sea. So mm-hmm. that, that to me is just a thing because I think we have to cancel fans, right? We no, more, to, maybe playoff games cannot have fans there. That's yeah, we, what we, get, we, we have to do it like the they do. Part. We have to do it like they do soccer matches in like Russia when the fans get too racist and just make them play in an empty stadium. Um, Wait, is that a thing? That is a thing. That is a thing they do in, in soccer, uh, particularly in Eastern European countries in Italy when the fans um, if fans have been like too racist about something, they the governing league governing body will usually be like, okay, your next match you play in an empty stadium. Your fans are not allowed to be there as punishment. Okay. So, um, I think to me it's just like unless it is unless it is very very obvious visible fan interference, I don't think that can be your default ruling. I don't think that can be the. I mean, and maybe maybe you know, obviously we'll never know, but maybe Joe West did see a fan did see the fan reach over and just he's the only one who could see it. Um because of where he was, but I just find that so hard to believe that that was... That Maybe Joe West just was really pissed off about the Ozuna trade and was like, <laughs> here's my opportunity to really stick it to the Houston front office. Well, I do enjoy... Team. I did enjoy um, 
the Astros fan blog uh, for SB Nation, uh, Crawford Boxes, I think they're called. And waiting, mm-hmm. this is all part of. I think some... it's Craw- is it Crawford or Crawfish Boxes? It's something like that. It's, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. I, I like them insinuating that this was some kind of like massive league-wide conspiracy to get the Red Sox into the World Series. We're like, guys, right. you just won the World Series last year. I really mm-hmm. don't think, especially especially on top of that's the same day MLB came out and said that Houston's whole we're taking video of stuff going on in the Red Sox dugout to make sure that they're not cheating. And MLB was like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. We, we don't care. Like, of all the times to say, like, MLB has something out for you, it's like, it's definitely not the day where they basically just covered up for you guys. You know, like, it's just, it's just weird that within 24 hours we got this, this weird spying mess and this interference call mess. And it's not ideal. But what a I, weird I mean, season for the Astros, though, right? Like, if this is how it ends, I mean, they're down 3-1 now as of this recording, but, you know, it, they've kind of had a low-key season from hell. So we may, like, it's not a crazy thing that the Red Sox would have won this series, even if they count that Altuve home run. It's like, they've really, I mean, outside of Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, who have obviously been great and everything, but, like, Correa going down, Altuve going down, like, if Alex Bregman did not turn into a superstar this year, they may have been in real trouble. Like yeah, there's something well about this team that like, it's so weird because remember those pieces from just a few months ago where it's like, are the 2018 Houston Astros the best team ever? Like that was a real piece getting published. I mean, I think it was on beyond the box score that uh, published that not too long ago. And that was before the injuries to just devastated their summer. But like, this is just a really weird year for them, but it's also like one of those years where you're like, this just doesn't feel right. It, there's just something about this team that just, it's not working. It's just, they'll regroup, they'll get healthy, but um, it just doesn't feel like the Astros year. And maybe this is like the thing we remember most is the robbed Altuve home run. But what I'll remember about this 2018 Astros team is that they were just snake bitten and that this was just a team that, still well put together still a lot of great young talent Alex Bregman turned into an MVP candidate all that stuff but it just it didn't feel like everything was going to come together at the right time for them no and I think you can see that in the way that you look at their Pythagorean record and you look at their run differentials one of the best run differentials literally ever I think it was 200 plus 250 which is absurd um, and that they had all the at least the the trappings and the the kind of numbers of a team that should have won, you know, upwards of 105 to 110 games. And instead they finished with, I believe 103, which is still tremendous. But like you said, it just feels like this was a team that was just kind of unlucky all year with the exception of Verlander and Cole, just in the way that, you know, like you said, Altuve got hurt, Correa got hurt. And really only, only I, I think in this series and specifically in game four, we really started to see healthy Correa. I mean, last, uh, last night, I should say Wednesday night, he looked, like Carlos Correa again. And I know he's hitting cleanup in game five because um, he looks like Carlos Correa again. And also because there's a lefty on the mound of David Price. But, you know, he was hurt. Springer was hurt at one point. Uh, Charlie Morton got hurt. You know, they're, um, they had their whole weird issue with Ken Giles. And certainly there's some parts of their season self-inflicted, like the Roberto Suna, you know, trade that, you know, was just a complete disaster on their end. Um, and just the way they handled it and the kind of, the way it just showed this kind of rotten core of um, results matter, results trump everything, even something as, you know, this guy committed a very, very serious crime and, you know, the, you know, served a very long suspension for it and all that. Um, 
but yeah, it does really feel like at least in a lot of in, in other regards, the Astros kind of. I don't want to say they never really clicked because certainly you know they did end up winning 103 games in the division and they just demolished the Indians in the division series. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just feels like this Astros team. I, I do feel like if they if you know if they had, I mean, that's the thing you, you can't assume perfect health. Very few teams ever get that. I mean, last year's Astros certainly um, were a healthier unit um all the way around but you can't ever assume that and at the same time you know it's something that gets kind of lost i guess in that regard too is that this boston team is really really good and mm-hmm. you know we're, we're getting a taste of that now certainly you don't win 108 games by accident um but i think there was kind of a tendency with boston especially because they looked a little sluggish toward the end of september and you know you could say oh well, of course they did they'd already clinched the division by then there was they were playing for nothing for the last two weeks of the season but um, you can certainly get that feeling of, well, their bullpen was kind of shaky and postseason David Price and, you know, blah, blah, and on and on and on. Um, but no, we're, we're being reminded. We, we saw in the division series when they, you know, easily dispatched of New York in the last, uh, they really shut that team down in the last two games. And the way they've just handled Houston since game one. And the thing with game one, that, that was probably one of the worst games the Red Sox have played all year. And they still were in it till, until that kind of weird top of the ninth inning because Houston didn't play all that particularly well either. And now since then, you know, Boston has simply been the better team uh, last night's night inning, notwithstanding, which was really, and even there, but even there, you have something like Andrew Benintendi making that catch. And it wasn't a fluke. Benintendi's a very good defensive outfielder. Um, all Everyone in that outfield. And he doesn't look like outfielder. he should be, right? Like he has the body type of someone who you would think would be an awful defensive player. Well, it's just because he's, he's just, he's not very tall and he's not like, he doesn't look very like, graceful or rangeful over there. And the truth is he's the worst of those three outfielders of him and Mookie Betts oh, yeah. Bradley Jr. in terms of defense. But that still makes him a really good defender because those two are otherworldly defenders. Andrew Benintendi would be a starting mm-hmm. center fielder for a third of the teams in baseball if he were, you know, if he were on the Red Sox. It's only by virtue of Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. being on that team is that he is out in left field. And he plays that left field really well. He plays uh, he plays left field in Fenway very well. Um, off the playing off the green monster, and you saw last night he has very good instincts, good speed, good jumps. He has a good arm. You know, it, it just so happens he's he's not as good as 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 Betts or, or Bradley, and which is you know that's just a reflection of how good they are, and, and less on on any deficiency on Ben Attendee's part. It just feels like it's the Red Sox year, even with the Chris Sale stuff going on right now. I don't know. I can't just move away from it. Like Mookie Betts probably is winning MVP, all that kind of stuff. Cora, AL manager of the year. Um, but, you know, the NL, it's a lot less unsettling. Like we have the Manny Machado stuff, which has lit a fire under a lot of people, especially Kristen Yelich. Not a fan. Not a fan. I can tell. Not um, a fan. It's on his no. post-game comments after yeah. game four. But and- you know who is a fan of Manny Machado? a teammate of Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, who invited Machado um, out to uh, Malibu. Did you see that? I did not see that, but um, that, was, okay, that so was earlier in the they, series, right? Yeah, so Machado was on, uh, or Ryan Braun was on second base, and he just, like, they were having a conversation with Machado, and he's like, you ever go to Malibu? And uh, Machado, I think, was like, no, no, no. And then, he, like, Ryan Braun basically said, like, oh, yeah, you should come out and hang out. Like in the middle of this playoff game, it's uh I'll have to send it to you. But That's yeah, Ryan Braun, very friendly. This is before the what do we call it? What do we call the Jesus Al- Aguilar, um, Manny Machado incident on first base? Do we have a name for it yet? I don't think there's a catchy name for it because there's no like geographical no. connotation. The stomp? It's just, it, 
it's just yeah. Manny Machado being a dick. That's really that's really yeah. what all this comes down to is that he just seems like kind of an ass on a lot of these things. It reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of the way. Maybe that's why him and Ryan Braun are going to hang out. They actually might be pretty similar. Yeah, but it, makes it, sense. It's all coming together. It reminds me a lot of the way we used to see from like a Rod during his prime, like with the um, slapping the ball out of Bronson Orioles glove in in Game Six of 2004 mm-hmm. LCS, uh, yelling hot going around third base against the Blue Jays at one time and causing I don't remember who it was to drop a pop up. Like this kind of like silly bush league stupidity that like. It's the kind of stuff you you try and maybe get away with when you're a kid, because you can you know you don't know any better. But by this stage, it's like, come on, dude, like that's just don't be stupid like that. Like it's just kind of like it's those things that is, that you're usually reserved for worse players who aren't as talented. So just have to like snatch every little bit of kind of um, subterfuge they can to make up the gap. Kind of the it, it's what you would reserve for like the Raja Bells and like. Um, mm. and the Matt Barneses of the world. It's kind of annoying yeah. pest behavior to throw more, or Lance Stevenson, I think is probably the best example of that, but this, this way of throwing better players off their game by doing something that's just kind of dickish. And what yeah. I think that what makes it weird about Machado, the same thing it made about weird about A-Rodder is like, you don't have to do that. You were so mm-hmm. stupidly talented. You were so much better than so many other players on the field. Because it's their personality. It's the way they're wired. And that's the thing. It's like, I think there's just this level of like, I don't know if it's like hyper competitiveness or what, but it's just like, they can't, they will take any advantage they can and try to gain any edge that they can. And I think there's also just a level of just kind of annoyed peevishness with them where it's like, I think like what you're seeing with Machado is just this kind of general feeling of like, just not anger, but like annoyance that like, He's not, you know, every time he hits the ball hard and ends up in the, I think you saw when he, when he didn't run out that ground ball, it was like the, he said after it's like the yeah. annoyance of hitting a ball. And then that he had hard. the game winning run where he was hustling really hard. Yeah. I saw like, I forgot who it was who posted, like they can track how fast he was going based on, uh, I, there's some sort of metric that tracks like how fast guys are going around the bases and stuff. And like, he was like the way he hustled on that game yeah. winning run, uh, was exponentially faster than what the, what he did to run out to first and all the other stuff. It's, it's pretty funny. But it's like that. I think he said to Ken Rosendahl afterwards, like you know, being annoyed that like I hit that ball so hard and it went right into a shortstop's glove. And so I was like, what am I supposed to like? I'm, you know, I'm not going to be busting my ass out of the box. And he, he said, you know, I'm not that kind of player. I'm not the super hustle like you know, uh, scrappy like you know. And, and granted, there is the other thing too with all the Machado stuff is there is this element of like race. There's this element of race in it, and the way we describe these players, and that you know, if if it were a white player kind of, you know, doing the same kind of, and I don't call it, well, I mean, I think anyone who tried to kick a first baseman would probably be vilified regardless of their skin color. But I was going to say Chase Etley got it the same way. Like I yeah. would say like there are, I, I don't know if it's Machado because like, you know, you know what it kind of reminds me of? It's like Bryce Harper. Yeah. I think he's kind of in that zone now where like people just now perceive him as a dick like on face like it doesn't really matter what they do at this point no matter where Machado goes no matter what team he plays for I think people are just gonna some people are just gonna hate him and call him a dick or a dirty player or whatever and I think that's the same thing with Bryce Harper where they're like oh fuck that guy like I think that's just gonna be like part of their career and there's a lot too because I mean you know people I don't know how much people remember but you know Machado threw his bat at a player once you know he should have gotten a really long suspension for that um, that was against the A's the three or so years, three or four years ago when he was still in the Orioles. He, you know, he took a swing at something and let his bat go flying at, uh, I believe, the, whoever the third baseman was at the time. I don't think it was Matt Chapman. 
you know, and he made all the requisite mm. noise about, oh, that was the bat just slipped. It was like, no, it's like you were pissed and you let your bat go flying at someone. Like, you know, this, yeah. this is a dude who has had his share of like petty, silly, like, you know, just kind of moments where he just seems to let his annoyance over a situation just, you know, override his better sense of, of, of being. Um, and I think you, you'd see both ends of that. You see it with, you know, not running at that ground ball because he just gets so annoyed that he hit it hard, but it was right at somebody. And you get it when he's, you know, throwing his arms up during a slide and trying to kick Hayes' Aguilar because he's annoyed that, you know, an out's been made in that situation or whatever it happens to be. So it's, I guess it's almost like there's a sense of like, there's something in Machado that like can't be turned off in those moments. This just feeling of like, I guess in that, that it's Chris Paul too. Chris Paul does this where it's like, what are you doing, man? You don't have to be this intense and crazy and try to find like every little edge and like the, like a hip check or whatever, like uh, the Steve Nash stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's never necessary. And that inevitably crosses a line into dirty play because if you don't stop, like there is always going to be a moment where it goes too far because you, in your mind, you're like, no, I'm just trying to find an edge. Like, no, dude, you don't kick someone to do that though. Like you don't, like, yeah, like you said, with Chris and then Paul, fans yeah, get they, irrational, though, with the response to this, right? Where they're like, oh, I don't want this guy on my team. That was the response this week of like, oh, don't want. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, yeah, of no, course you would want Machado on your team. Like, you would you, put up with this if he was on your team. Let's yeah. let's be clear. You would put up with Manny Machado uh, being a dick every now and then if uh, this is the way he's playing for you for the next four to five years. Like, and, and that's I, and I should know that let's, there, let's stop right there. There is a line to be drawn between guys like Machado who are doing these kind of like dickish, slightly over the line things. And then people like Indomitian mm-hmm. Sue or Vontae's Perfect, who are like very visibly and obviously going out of their way to hurt people because they are just yeah. bad human beings who like are just sublimating their violent urges through sport. I don't think Machado comes anywhere close to those kinds of guys, but it is something where yeah. it's like the the weird the weirdness of that being a part of the the, the part of the Manny Machado like package is that he's gonna have these weird too competitive over the line moments like you're right no no fan is going to be like well i like the hell with man like no front is going to sit there and be like well that's the end of us being interested in manny machado because he he he's off our board like con coward with baker mayfield where he's like he's not even draftable he's off my draft board oh really okay (laughs) every every team or at least depending on the finances wants manny machado no like there's what what he's doing is not going to take a dollar off his eventual contract, but it is going to make him a lot easier for opposing fans to hate. Like if it does end up being something like Machado signs with the Yankees, it's going to make, it's going to give like Red Sox fans and, um, and other AL East fans and fans, of the other AL contenders that much more fuel for that particular fire of like, you know, not only do the Yankees, you know, get a great player because they spent money, but also they got a guy who's just a dick. And now it's that much easier to hate him and them because of all this silly little, because it's just, that's the thing. It really is just silly. It really is something where you just imagine a coach taking him aside and being like, don't do that. Just don't do that. Like it is totally unnecessary to do this. Don't do that. You know, it's cause it's a choice on his part. This isn't something where he's just like doing it by accident. This is all a choice. And it's just kind of disappointing. Can I say I think it was subconscious what he did at first base? Can I say that? I mean, you certainly can. I mean, I say it wasn't. A, I say it was a choice. I don't know that for sure. I don't know Manny Machado. I've never talked to him before. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it is subconscious. But I, I just feel like something like that. I think there is such a thing as subconscious dickishness. Like I, I think some of us some suffer from it, where it's like you don't even realize you're being a dick, or you you just did something. And you're like, oh, I didn't need to do that. What was I doing there? Oh, that was just that part of me. That little that little gator. 
inside that had to be uh, released briefly. Like, I, I wonder if that's part of it, where he's like, he like didn't even realize that he did it, but it was dirty. But like some part of him just took over and he just did that and was like he wouldn't deny it he's like yeah i did that on purpose but i didn't even catch myself or i realized i was doing it and i didn't stop myself in time or something like that i could i could buy that i could see that i think it's just it is a matter there of like he had to go out of his way to kick aguilar that wasn't something where it's like he just got a little yeah. too close or something it's like it's the same way with with chase utley and ruben tejada like utley did not go in too hard by accident like he he knew sliding into second, like I have, to, I'm going to go in hard because I'm going to try to break up this double play. And the harder I go, the harder it's going to be for the second baseman to turn. I don't think obviously probably didn't mean to break anyone's leg, I hope. But yeah. um, there is, there is always that element of, I know what I'm doing in that sense of like, you know, because it, it is, it's easy to avoid kicking Hayes' Aguilar, you know, running through that base. Normally he doesn't kick him. So maybe yeah. there was that subconscious element of like, oh, I'm pissed off right now. But like, he, in the end of the day, he chose to do it. You know, that wasn't something that just happened mm-hmm. by accident. And we're just interpreting it the wrong way. That was, you know, very much a, 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 a just a dirty little thing to do. Um, and you know, every sport has guys like that. It's just usually those guys are kind of fringe players who just aren't very good and just do that kind of stuff to gain an edge. You know, that's why it's so weird to see a guy like Machado doing it. It's like, dude, you don't need an edge. You're already so much better than everybody else. But that's what makes uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado signing with the Philadelphia Phillies this winter so appealing. Yeah, we're going to get a so new appetizing. going to get a, a baseball version of the Broad Street Bullies. That's what's up. Oh, my God. And by the way, let me go ahead and say this again. Wouldn't rule it out that both of them end up in Philadelphia this winter. Wouldn't sure. rule it out. I just, I, I do just feel like, though, I wonder how much, something I wonder with the way the Phillies fell apart is how much other free agents to be looked at that team and kind of went, uh, is this team really ready to compete? Like, cause they really fell apart down the stretch. Um, and I just I, wouldn't worry about it because the NL is so jumbled right now. And I mean, unless you believe in the Brewers staying power, the, I mean, the Dodgers are going to be around for a couple more years, but I'm not a believer long-term in the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, like you go up and down the Cubs still have some weird stuff going on with them. And they're obviously, I think they're the favorite right now, gambling wise for Bryce Harper, but I, I just don't see it. I don't know why I just don't see Bryce Harper on the Cubs. I could be wrong, but it just doesn't feel right to me. And then, I mean, the Cardinals will see, but you know, you look up and down and you're like, oh, what about the Braves? The Braves are there. And I'm like, the Braves aren't going to spin, man. This isn't happening. This is their team. They're going to bank on a lot of young pitching. Um, they overachieved this year. I mean, there's a lot of Brewers vibes with them. But, you know, I mean, there's a scenario where this was a, a blip and they're not going to spin like Philadelphia. Philadelphia has been, their rebuild has not gone to plan. Obviously, the Braves have done a much better job rebuilding. But sometimes uh, it just takes a big market like Philadelphia, who has shown that they will go all in and they will spend for a championship. And they do have some good pieces still with Adubel Herrera, who, I mean, I'm still pretty high on and guys like that. I, I'm just, I think the Phillies are going to sign one of the two. They're getting I someone did. big and they're going to be, because the Mets suck. Go ahead and write off the Mets, write off the Marlins. The Nationals still have some weird stuff that they got to take care of this winter. But I just, I think they're getting one of the two at the very minimum. And Braves fans, I've been saying this from the get from the get go. Just brace yourself. And when you don't want Bryce Harper in right field to replace Nick Markakis, remember that thought when he's uh, playing right field for the Phillies for like eight years. 
I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it ends up being. I think the problem for the Phillies is going to be that the suitors for Machado are going to include three teams and the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Cubs that have mm. theoretically at least more financial wherewithal and in all three cases are probably more desirable locations for either of those two players. I mean, I don't know necessarily what Bryce Harper and, and Manny Machado are looking for in terms of their next team, but those three teams are all good, young, you know, centers of the baseball universe, Los Angeles, of course, being the media center of the world, New York being the, you know, the kind of unofficial American capital, like, you know, the visibility in all three of those places is much higher than in Philadelphia. The cores of those teams are just better, I think. I don't think you can really argue that the Cubs, Dodgers, and Yankees are not better than the, the Phillies right now. The money, yeah. theoretically, there's more to be to be spent there. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, like... It's more of a blank slate. We kind of know who those other teams are right now. Yeah, I, I think that's the only thing that the Phillies are going to run into. And certainly, you know, at least in terms of they have the payroll space and they have the, the roster spot and they have the good cores and the contention and the, they're in the bad division. I do just think though, that the problem they're going to run into is the Yankees are, the Yankees are going to be on Machado. Certainly the Dodgers thing will be too. The Dodgers and Cubs are going to be in on Harper. A bunch of other teams are going to be in there as kind of dark horse bidders. I think it's going to be a crowded marketplace for both. And I think the Phillies are just going to run into that problem where they're, you know, that second tier almost for both of those guys. They're kind of like, I almost feel like they would exist as a fallback option. Where they're going to have. If to- Bryce Harper cared about Major League Baseball fans, he would play first base for the Colorado Rockies for the next ten years. I and I plan on making this argument in, over the winter. Um, once mm. you know, once the off season starts, once the World Series is over, that the Colorado Rockies should do everything in their power to sign Bryce Harper. That they one million percent should do it at the very least, if not for their own roster, for the for the for the joy of us fans, so that we can watch him slug like nine hundred at home and just hit shots yeah. everywhere but but that's a top it'd be fun give him a 20-year contract who cares bryce yeah. Harper could hit um runs and cores at 47 years old but uh but like i said that's that's a topic for another time yeah john taylor i appreciate it is there anything coming out uh we're recording this on a thursday is there anything else coming out this week nothing we out for nothing week? planned just waiting for these games waiting for these two championship series to finish up and then see where the world series takes us but um, obviously it's, you know, SI has got plenty of folks covering it, Just, you, know, you know, go consumer coverage. We got lots of good folks writing about it. I got Verducci writing every day, you know, off of, uh, off the playoffs and what's going on. So yeah, check out our coverage. I'm sure I'll have something in the next few days, just off, off one of these series or something. Cool. Well, go do that. Enjoy the Boston Red Sox postseason run. That seems like it's ending in a world series title. We'll, we'll talk soon, especially if they, uh, win the big one or if they don't and they lose in heartbreaking fashion to the Dodgers or something or the Brewers, who knows? We'll see what happens, but I'm excited because it's going to be a fun, uh, stretch run here. It's gonna uh, be, I think we're going to have a fun world series. It's going to be great. It's going to be exciting one way or the other. Yeah. All right, John, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you, man. All right, Jovan Bua, as he meanders, maneuvers through Los Angeles traffic, which I can only imagine is the best that it's ever been right now. Um, Something I don't miss, Atlanta and LA, we both have terrible traffic at all times, it seems like. But Jovan is the superstar at the Athletic Los Angeles. It's one of his final appearances in the podcast before he officially gets too big. We're nearing that tipping point. Um, He denies it, but... He was out playing basketball with Quavo outside the other day. 
Um, he's getting big time quotes from Boban for breaking rims because uh, he's lifting too many weights. He is uh, Jovan Buen. He is he's here. Um, so enjoy it. You never know. It, you never know when it's going to be Jovan's last time. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, that's that's not going to happen. But uh, I, I appreciate the kind words. So we got to be careful. I we, I got to make sure because you are um, on the road. I. I have to be careful with my topic selection tonight. So just want to make sure that uh, you don't get uh, your blood boiled or any kind of road rage from any of this. But um, yeah, I, I need to start with something that uh, I know you don't talk about the Clippers nearly enough in your personal life, in your professional life. So no. I want to make sure that we start with that, which is the Los Angeles Clippers are apparently, according to Woj on the latest Woj pod, um, in good position to get Kawhi Leonard um, next summer. I love that we're in week one of the NBA season. Kawhi has this great debut in Toronto. A lot of mid-rangers. Uh, gobbled up a lot of rebounds. He, he looked good. And then the Toronto fans are gifted with <laughs> news that uh, Ka- the Clippers are in good shape to get Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler with their two max slots next summer. Yeah, so... My, I mean, I, I guess that that was the most definitive. It, it's probably been said, but to me, like th- th- this has already been floating out there. Like Woj is already, you know, kind of around um, the, the, the time that Kawhi demanded, or you know, not really demanded, but kind of suggested uh, or expressed that he wanted to leave San Antonio. Um, you know, the, the Clippers were one of the names. Like everyone kind of immediately jumped on Lakers. Uh, you know, the, the Clippers were one of the names out there. I, I think. Uh, you know, Sean said that he actually preferred going to the Clippers than, than the Lakers. Uh, then obviously with Jimmy, you saw, um, you know, he listed Clippers, Knicks, and Nets as, as the three teams he, he really wanted to go to. So, good, man. so, well, it's a, I saw I have an issue with that just because I, I think the, you know, I think you, first off, I don't think you can, com- like, I know the Clippers probably overall looking at their history have a worse history than, than the Knicks and Nets. Like, I don't, I don't think that's even arguable. Like they do, but looking at the last five or six years, like, I don't think you can compare the, the Clipper situation to the Knicks or Nets. Um, oh, I agree. And, 100%. And then on top 100%. of that, I think, you know, put Jimmy Butler on, on the Knicks right now. I mean, the, the Porzingis situation is up in the air, but put him on the Knicks. They're maybe an eight seed, like maybe seven, but probably eight. Like, that's a best-case scenario. I still think there's just not that much talent around him. Uh, put, put him on the Nets. They're probably, like, the six or seven seed. Put him on the Clippers. Like, yes, probably, you know, seven or eight, but, but that's in the West. And I, I just think the Clippers have more pieces around him and kind of have the infrastructure uh, to, you know, they, they just kind of need a star. I think if you put a star on this team and with, with these, you know, kind of just a, a depth of role players around them, uh, I really think the, the Clippers would, would be a much better team than, than the Knicks or Nets. Uh, so, and, and as currently constructed, are uh, I think a much better team than the Knicks or Nets. So, to me, I didn't think that was a fair kind of slight that I saw some people taking uh, on Twitter. But uh, to, to me, I'm not very surprised. Like, I think this has kind of been out there now for what seems like, you know, almost two months that the Clippers are definitely in the Kawhi sweepstakes, if not the favorite. And now, this, you know, the, the Jimmy News came out about a month ago and, so, I mean, would I be surprised if they got both? Yes. Would I be surprised if they got one of them? No. I, I think I, I think that should actually probably be the expectation right now is that they do get one of those two. Um, 
you know, what, what's interesting is kind of what happens with Tobias Harris and kind of what, you know, how his season goes and, and what that means, because if they retain him, it might be hard to get two guys. Uh, you know, there's a chance that they think he, he's not, maybe not on one of those guys levels, but, but close to it uh, by season's end. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but uh, it is going to be fascinating to see kind of how, how they maneuver that. But to me, I'm not very surprised by this. Like, it seems like every time the Clippers get mentioned, everyone freaks out and is like, oh, my God, the Clippers, the Clippers. It's like this has been out there for a couple months. Like, uh, you know, like I don't you know. Said, it's I could... more definitive now where it's yeah, just no. like yeah, yeah. just out there saying like, no, 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 they actually do have a good chance right now. I mean, what Woj said, uh, you know, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but uh, if I believe correctly, he, he did say it was more likely than not that he ends up on the Clippers. Yeah. So that was, you know, that's a, that's a, 50 per, you know, 51% chance, or, or I guess if you're splitting multiple, uh, you know, multiple paths, that just means the Clippers is the most likely one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, that is interesting. Uh, and you know, Woj obviously is, uh, you know, he, he's well connected to the Clippers organization. Like when, when Clippers news breaks, he, he's usually the one breaking it. So just kind of reading between those lines, like he's definitely in the know. Um, so that, you know, that, but, if, if that happens, like it's going to be super fascinating to see what kind of team they they put around because you know most of the Clippers uh, roster is going to be free agent next summer. So you kind of fill in with, with Kawhi and, and maybe Jimmy. Like that's a pretty nice foundation. But I will be interested to see who else is around them and, and who they retain from from this current team. So I think the best thing about all of this, and this is the difference with the Clippers and maybe the new normal with certain teams, because the Clippers are kind of doing what the Rockets did before they got James Harden. And I think this is what um, I'm fascinated by and why I'm more of a believer in the Clippers rebuild and why stars want to go there. And I, I think it was Woj that mentioned this, and I agree with this perspective, is that like they have a foundation now with a bunch of role players that stars want to play with. Like I can imagine a scenario where Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard want to play with Montrezl Harrell, that want to play with Tobias Harris, that want to play with Avery Bradley, that want to play with Luke Richard and Bob Mute, who want to play with Pat Beverly. Like they just have so many dudes who fit around a superstar wing that it makes sense to me that Kawhi and Jimmy Butler would look at that situation of like, oh, we have guys, if we walked into that situation with the two max slots, we would be get around guys who know the role, veterans, um, a young intriguing piece in Shai Gilgis-Alexander, all that kind of stuff. But great coaching staff, great culture, owner willing to spend a front office that is now, I mean, pretty stacked. I mean, Lee Jenkins is even in there. So the sky is the limit for the Clippers in that front office now. But um, I just think it's a really fascinating development of like, I wonder if more teams are going to do this. So it's like, we look at those teams now that are in that nine to 10, eight, 11 bubble where it's like, they're barely a playoff team. If they are, they're not like, you don't want to be in that zone, but maybe there is something to be said about being in that zone. If you have the cap flexibility to attract a star, because a star might look at your situation of like, yeah, they're not anywhere close to winning a title, but they have a bunch of guys that I would love to play with because they would make my job easier. So even if you have to suffer through a couple of years of having like a 2008 Hawks team, you know, if you still retain enough cap flexibility where you're able to absorb one of those max guys because they just like the vets and they like the guys that they could surround themselves with because they're like, okay, this makes sense for my, uh, the way I play, the way um, I want to be like they they understand, like the roles are defined. So I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing that I wonder if more teams are going to do. And maybe that's good news for like the teams like the Pacers, the Thunder, and other teams like that. Um, I don't know. That's just something I've been thinking about this afternoon. 
Yeah, and and I also think that um, well, I mean, I agree with that premise, and on just kind of on top of that, like I think um, you know if you're if you're a superstar looking at the two LA teams, like obviously one team now has LeBron, and, and that kind of is is its own you know difference maker just in and of itself. But uh, you know, I think looking at like kind of looking at the two rosters, uh, you know, putting LeBron aside before he went there, like. I, I thought the Clippers kind of had a better foundation to, to contend right away. Like the, the Lakers have a lot of, um, you know, the, they have a lot of question marks. Like we, you know, I think it looks like Brandon Ingram is going to take a big step this season, but like, we really don't know how good Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball and Josh Hart are. And that's not their fault. You know, those guys were all rookies last season. That's to be expected. Um, you know, they clearly have a hole at center uh, where, you know, JaVale can play 15 minutes a night, maybe 20 minutes a night, but anything more is just kind of unrealistic from him. And then what, what are you doing for those other 25 to 30 minutes uh, a night? Like I have no confidence in, in Kyle Kuzma and, and Michael Beasley playing center for this team. Uh, so I, I think just looking at it from that perspective too, is like, you know, if some of these young guys on the Lakers take massive jumps this season and, and, you know, that team maybe overachieves, makes a second round, third round, like, you know, maybe that kind of shifts things back in Lakers' favor. But I think looking at the Clippers roster, like you said, you know, you, you have the, the Clamp City of Pat Beverly, Avery Bradley, Luke Mabamute. Like, those are three of Clamp the, City? <laughs> Is that a thing? I like yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's uh, Pat Beverly coined that over the summer uh, after okay. they after they retain Avery and, and sign Luke. Like, mm. between those three, like, th- those are three of the better perimeter defenders in, in the league at, at their positions. Um and then you have, you know, you have Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari, who, you know, I think are, are pretty good third bananas uh, on, on most teams, you know, as long as Gallo's healthy. Uh, you, you have Montrez Harrell, who, uh, you know, is a, kind of an exciting young big man project who, who had a really nice season last season. Uh, Shea Gilchrist-Alexander already playing 28 minutes in, in his debut and looking really yeah. good. Like, uh I just think like the Clippers have a bunch of depth, a bunch of pieces, a bunch of versatility. They they can play big, they can play small. Uh, you know, didn't even mention Milos, didn't even mention Gortat, Mike Scott. Like they have a bunch of pieces, and uh, I just think that you know, looking at that, if you just you know take a couple of those guys off and, and add a star to that, like that to me is a really interesting core that can maybe you know contend for kind of that two, three, four spot uh, under Golden State. And I just kind of want to see it happen. I want to see Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard on the same team. Like, even if it's Toronto, like, if Toronto gets in there and they're like, okay, let's go ahead and trade for Jimmy. Um, or if it's Los Angeles. Like, if Los Angeles is the team that ends up getting Jimmy Butler in the regular season, they're probably a playoff team. And then that makes matters worse. So it's a mat- it's it's fun to think about with different fan bases how they're reacting to this. Because it's like, if, the Ra- if you're a Raptors fan and the Jerry West and Lawrence Frank and everybody pull off the Jimmy Butler trade in the next month, then you're like, oh, this isn't good. This is, we're not in like just panic mode, but this is definitely something to monitor because it's like, that's the first domino to fall because if Jimmy Butler gets traded to Los Angeles mid season, he's probably staying like he's, that's like one of those teams that you would assume he's going to sign uh, a long-term deal with um, just because they were on his original list. They're in LA, he's in LA a lot and all that kind of stuff. And then you're like, Oh, and they have one more max slot. And then it's just kind of easy to kind of get Kawhi over there because you're like, 
like we already talked about, all their role players and all their different guys that we like, and then you already have Jimmy Butler locked in, and um, if they just say, hey, let's go be two dominant wings, on, like just the the thought of those two being <laughs> just on the same team and just how much of a defensive just pain in the ass that team, like that would be, and just think about Avery Bradley and Shea Gilders-Alexander and Pat Bev and all those guys just with Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard, I really want to see it. So um, I'm fascinated by what happens with Kawhi in Toronto this year, but I do really want to see Jimmy on this Clippers team because I think um, it'd be a lot of fun. And then if you add Kawhi into the mix, it's even more terrifying. And I don't think it's good enough to beat the Warriors, but if the Warriors lose Durant this summer and uh, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard on the Clippers. I don't know, man. It suddenly gets very, very interesting. And if you're LeBron, you're like, oh, shit, I came to L.A. And now we're I, like after one year, I've already lost the spotlight because Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler are on the other L.A. team. I don't know. It's all fascinating. I'm, I'm so glad the NBA is back and we can have these conversations again. Yeah, last night was, was really fun. Uh, I was at Clippers Nuggets, but just kind of watching the, the box scores, getting to watch uh, some of the games on TV um, in, in the media room at Staples, like, it's just, it, it's the best time of the year. Uh, we get to overreact to everything. Uh, you know, the Celtics are, are you know, the best team in the East now, and, and the Sixers have no chance, and, you know, everyone just has their overreactions, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I love it. I really want to talk about something that kind of feels like it's been swept under the radar. The G League increasing <laughs> salaries, it's... I got to get your take, man. Like, I think it's super interesting um, that going into 2019, they're going to offer guys, what is it, $125,000. The guys who are not eligible for the draft, so you got to be 18 or just like one year removed from high school or whatever, and uh, they can go to the G League. And I think we're going to see that happen more and more. They're able to market themselves, brand, sign uh, sign shoe deals, so you'll be able to get a lot more scoops there as uh the number one shoe reporter in the country i uh i think uh this is great news for both you and uh 18 year olds who would like to not do one year or not even one year um four months at duke university and instead uh spend their time making uh six figures and uh learning how to play the nba way i i think this is a huge win and i think it's something that should happen across the board where if you're 18 years old and you want to go make a living, you want to go and do your own thing, you should be able to do that. And you shouldn't be forced to spend a just a useless, made-up hodgepodge in a year at a big-time university. I think it's better for both sides. I think it's better for college, but easier for coaches to get uh, all those. Uh, it's just, it makes too much sense not to happen, and I'm, I'm just glad that it, it, uh, it came up over the last couple of days. What do you think? So... I'm fascinated by this just because I think that this new system is going to really tell and kind of expose what each player, you know, the the top prospects heading into the draft, the the one and done candidates, like what they want, because I I see the benefits and like you just laid them out. Uh, I think it's great to offer a paid option to get them into the NBA ecosystem early um, you know, to, to kind of end the, the, the dog and pony show of, you know, we're going to class for three months and, you know, we're going to pretend like we actually give a crap about uh, what, you know, what we're studying and learning. If we even do go to class, like, you know, that whole charade and, and 
obviously the NCA is corrupt and, you know, we can go on and on about that and that can be a podcast at a different time. So I definitely think there are a million benefits and, and positives. And I think overall, in a macro sense, uh, I'm for this and, and believe it's a good thing. At the same time, I think there are some obvious cons to it uh, in that I think the issue with going to the G League versus going to, to play at, you know, and, and this is really for the top guys, like the guys who are the one-and-done caliber guys. I think overall, um, if you can make a G League team and, and make six figures, like uh, even if you're like a second-round prospect or, or kind of a fringe first, like I think you go do that. But I'm talking about for like the guys that are the projected lottery picks or like surefire first-round picks, I think the issue is, um, you know, you, you, you're kind of guaranteed in most cases playing time, a starting spot, a certain role with a college team because, you know, no coach, uh, you know, we, we do see these instances where, uh, you know, a top prospect comes and he comes off the bench or maybe he doesn't play that much. But in most cases, you know, it's part of the recruiting is, you know, you can say, Look at the last five years. We've had point guard X, you know, one in, you know, if you're like Kentucky or something, we've had point guard X on our team and look at how much playing time they got. Look at the role they got. Look at, you know, where they were drafted, uh, you know, in the lottery. And that's kind of a selling point, a, a pitch to these guys. So I don't think you're assured the same thing in the G League. Like to me, the G yeah. League, you're going against you know, professional basketball players. You're going against guys yeah. in their early, mid, late 20s, guys who are just as hungry, if not hungrier, guys who are living more paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, and maybe not necessarily on the same contract that you're on. Uh, and these guys are scrapping against the league. So I think that is a more, you know, it's just a, it's a more like, it's a, it's a meritocracy basically in the G league. Uh, so you might play it eight minutes tonight. You might play 12 minutes tonight and, and not get that same exposure. On top of that, I think the, the same thing that happens when, when guys go to college and, and play two, three, four years, instead of leaving after one year, uh, you kind of get exposed a little bit where, you know, in college, it, it's probably, you know, easier, lesser competition. You could come out and average, you know, 20 and six or, or whatever and look really good you go to the G league and average like 12 and five and, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your three point shot isn't looking as good. Uh, you know, your handle isn't as good against, uh, you know, better competition. And now you start to get nitpicked a little bit. So to me, I think, you know, if you're just looking at it in terms of they get to be a professional, they get to make six figures, they get to be in the NBA ecosystem. Like I think all that stuff is great, but I think at the same time, like, you're definitely running the risk of, of being nitpicked at a higher level, not playing as much, um, you know, potentially lowering your draft stock. And I think that's kind of the, the, the con side of things where, where I'm going to be super fascinated to see which guys actually take that route, which guys are willing to bet on themselves and risk that and, and kind of how that plays out for certain guys. Another thing that's weird though, is like these, whoever they go play for and sign that team doesn't retain their rights. So yeah, it's yeah. not like if if like Kyrie Irving did this to, uh, however many years ago it was and he just played for like the Greensboro Swarm or whoever. It's not like the Swarm get to keep him and develop him and then uh, call him up basically like in Major League Baseball and stuff. Like it's a step in the right direction. But I think that's still the weird part is that uh, teams are going to help develop these guys that 
they may not even be able to draft. I mean, they'll have a good idea if they want to draft them because they've been in their system and stuff like that. But like, I think that is a weird part of this is that uh, I think that's something that has to change that has to adjust with this where it's like, I don't understand why a team would want to risk developing a guy like this and just being like, oh, like you get Zion Williamson, like just say you're the the main red claws and the Celtics have the number two pick in the draft next year, which is actually a very strong possibility depending <laughs> on how the Kings do this this year. Um, they get to develop Zion Williamson and then uh, they get like the number four pick and Zion goes to someone else and they get to reap the benefits of maybe just good coaching in the G league from the Celtics organization and he gets drafted by whoever. Like, I think that is a really weird way to go about this. So I think that has to change is like, if you're going to do this and you're going to open it up and you're going to have like eight or nine, just like lottery guys playing in the G league for teams, you have to change the system where it's like whoever drafts them at 18, they uh, get, they can stash them there, but they're under the team's rights. You know what I mean? Where it's like they get to develop them. There has to be an incentive for these uh, NBA franchises to, want to develop these guys because if not like what is the point why do, why do you care how this dude plays in the g league because the guys that they're more interested in the g league are the ones that can, they can put on two-way contracts and the guys that can help them now the guys that you were talking about who are scrapping and trying to get by the cj wallaces and everybody else in the world um it, it's just it's a step in the right direction but i also think there's a lot more to change and also it's not like uh minor league baseball players have enjoyed um, their pay issues over the last couple of years. And that's become a bigger issue in Major League Baseball. I think it's at the very least the most ethically um, sound approach to going about all of this is getting rid of the charade and helping 18-year-olds, if they want to do it, just let them do whatever they want. If they don't want to go earn a living, even though it's not great, whatever, good, go do it see what happens bet on yourself you should be able to go do that you can go do whatever you want you can go invent microsoft at 18 but you can't uh go straight to the nba it's stuff like that has just always been weird but uh yeah like you said if they go to duke they get to be on tv all the time guess what if you go to the g league you're not gonna be on tv no one's yeah, gonna see you, for exposure, you might be they, making money they, yeah. yeah no exposure yeah uh, well, so I, I don't think, think it's going to be very big. I don't think a lot of these guys are going to do it yet because there's no TV, there's no any, yeah. Well, and, and like those basic things, like like you know, in, in in the G League, you take a you you bus a lot of places, you know, you mm-hmm. you fly you fly coach or you know even business class, but you know business class on a normal plane, like um, you're not taking private jets, you're not taking charter buses, like you're it's it's a very like different. Um, just kind of quality of, of life, like the places you're staying, like, you know, call it these big college programs, stay in five-star hotels and all this stuff. Like um, it, it, it's, it's definitely different. Now, the other thing I, th- I think you hit on is I think an obvious, you know, an obvious solution or a kind of fix to, to this potential problem of, because now that almost every NBA team has their own G league team, you know, they're, they're running basically like, you know, I, I know from, from the Clippers side of things, like, they're running the same actions, you know, with the G League team as they do with the pro team. In case any of those guys get called up, like they will know what. Which Doc is what River... you should do. Exactly, yeah. and it's, it's you know it really is like a, a farm system, um, you know, kind of like baseball. But I, I think the, the solution here is if you want to continue to implement this, like you know, nineteen and over, 
one year out of college, you know, or one removed, one year removed out of high school uh, rule. I think the obvious solution is just let these guys that want to go into this system in the G League get drafted, let them enter the draft out of high school. And then they just, you know, if you're going to maintain that kind of dumb rule of, of 19 and up, then that first year, they, you know, they can only play in the G League. But I think then that kind of, you know, solves that, that you know, potential weirdness of, um, you know, playing for the Celtics, playing for the Warriors, playing for a really good organization, then you end up on the Kings or, or then you end up on the Knicks or something. And it's like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, so I, I think the, you know, an easy solution would just be if Joe Schmo, who's a projected lottery pick, uh, you know, uh, coming out, of, even if they came out of high school, wants to enter the draft, let them enter the draft, let them get drafted. And then that first year, they have to stay in the G League. And then that, you know, from, from the second season on, their, their rookie contract kicks in. And, and then, you know, it is what it is. But then that team gets really a year of grooming them. You know, they get to play in the G League. They get, they get a year of learning the plays. Um, and then you're going to have the people that are like, oh, they're not a rookie. And it's going to be the whole Ben Simmons argument. But I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, that that's kind of a nice solution where that will really incentivize guys, I think, to do that, you know, where they'll get drafted. They won't necessarily, you know, get to play their first year in, in the NBA. But, um, you know, the, the rookie contract won't kick in yet. It'll kick in in that second season. And, and they kind of get a, a free year of learning their NBA team system, being around the team, being around their teammates, being around the coaching staff, front office, all that stuff. Um, and I think that's a that's a nice little farm system uh, that the NBA should should kind of go towards. Yeah, I agree. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, did you know two of the five starters on the Heat that were not named Hassan Whiteside, Goran Dragic, and uh, Josh Richardson this week? Uh, was it Rodney McGruder? McGruder? Yes. Uh, that was I, a I name who I started for the Miami Heat this week. McGruder. Yeah, McGruder. Sure. Uh, not, to be, not to be confused with Miami Heat legend Josh McRoberts. Yes. Um, and then I want to say, we said, we said besides Richardson, Dragic, uh, and Whiteside. Yep. Um, Wayne Ellington got a DMP CD. I, I know it's a random. I know it's a random guy. I, I forgot. I was just looking at the box score last night. Derek but. Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. Yes. Okay. Uh, that is. Pat Riley told the team this week that this is the team. No one's getting moved, and they started Magruder and Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, you need Jimmy Butler, Pat Riley. You don't need to tell the team that everybody's allowed to stay. You lost to the Magic on opening night. Well, the the Heat, yeah. I mean, I think the Heat need Jimmy Butler. I think they need Kawhi Leonard. I, I think they need a star. Like they're locked into this team for the you know the next few years, um, at least the next two years. And uh, this team is is just very you know they're basically the definition of average. And in the East, maybe that gets you a six or seven seed, but like they're not going to win in the first. They're quarter. average with no cap space. Um, they have no cap space. They, they have no real meat. Like. Not only do they not have cap space, but they don't really have like many assets to, to kind of move. Um, and, and you know, like who who's taking on Tyler Johnson? Who you know, has, no one wants to touch Hassan Whiteside. Um, Goran Dragic, like maybe someone would take him, but he's your best player probably right now. So like Josh Richardson is the guy that it seems like you know is still young on a reasonable contract. But again, like you you lose him, like. 
you know, sure, you get Jimmy Butler, that's an upgrade, but but you, you theoretically, like, want a, a Josh Richardson type around Jimmy Butler. Uh, I just think yeah. that they're kind of in this this crappy, like, they're going to be the, the, the six to nine seed for the next, like, two, three years, and I, I don't really know what that means. Um, you know, Unless they trade for Jimmy. Unless they trade for Jimmy, but, but you know, you don't want to give up Bam. Uh, Which is insane. What are we doing? Like, the, well, heat, man, the one I thing mean, you can it, count it, on if you're the Heat is you can develop. They developed Josh Richardson. They developed Tassan Whiteside. They developed Tyler Johnson. They developed all these dudes. You can develop another Bam Adebayo. You can find these guys. You can develop them. You're the Heat. Eric Spolstra does this. That's what you do. You can develop these guys that you fall in the late first round, second round, G-leaguers, whoever. Your developing is not your issue. What's been your issue since LeBron left is acquiring other stars. That is your issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's also, you know, from, from talking and, and kind of hearing a bit about, like, the, the, the Clippers' perspective in, in, in the Jimmy trades, for example, like, teams are very hesitant to just give up. And, like, you know, I think the way kind of teams view it almost and why everyone's been throwing these lowball offers is they're just like, you know, and the Heat are the exception because they can't sign Jimmy next summer. But if, if you're the, the Clippers or the Knicks or the Nets, like, you just kind of look at it and you're like, well, shit, we're going to have the cap space next summer. Like, why, why should we give up a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, you know. Like, well, the counter with that be, would be the Thunder and Paul George. Yeah, because no, that report I mean, came it, out this it, week it too is. that if they didn't trade for him, he would have signed I, with the Lakers. But, but I think I think that I think that that argument is is more applicable to Kawhi and and, and than Jimmy because Kawhi got at you know Kawhi basically could be Paul George 2.0 where you know you're the Clippers, you're the Lakers, like you could theoretically make a trade for Kawhi, but the Spurs clearly didn't like the packages that were being thrown at them. And then he, they end up trading him to Toronto, who kind of came out of nowhere, similarly to OKC. And, you know, Paul George ended up loving it there and, and, and staying. Kawhi could end up loving it there and staying. Like, if they make the finals, if they push Golden State, like, who, who says he won't stay? Um, Jimmy, I think, is, is completely, like, I would be shocked if Jimmy stayed in Minnesota. Like, we know we're very confident Jimmy Butler is not going to stay in Minnesota. Now, does that mean he's going to sign with your team if you're a team trying to trade for him and don't really want to give up much? No, not necessarily. So you are running that risk if you don't trade for him. But I just think, like, I think these teams, you know, the teams on his shortlist are somewhat confident that they have a chance to get him. And they're looking at it like, you know, if I'm on the Nets, do I want to give up? Jarrett Allen, do I want to give up? Like, yeah, now I'm not saying they're right. I, I'm just saying, like, you know, for the Clippers, like, do I want to give up Tobias Harris? Do I want to give up Jerome? Like, they're not giving up Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's just not happening. But, you know, Jerome Robinson uh, is a guy they just took in the lottery. They're high on. You know, Tobias Harris is a guy that they might look at as kind of like their, their third piece on a, on a theoretical, cha- you know, championship contending team. Like, do we want to give up the, these things and kind of be, you know, stripped of our best assets? Because uh, everyone also looks at the Carmelo situation, and I think he, you know, it's, it's kind of natural to look at that and be like, the Knicks probably could have signed Carmelo Anthony that summer. They gave up pretty much all of their assets, and then had one good season, and then you know were completely irrelevant and out of playoffs for the, the three seasons after that. So uh, I'm not saying it's it's the right mentality. Now I think the Heat are an exception because the Heat won't have cap space either way. So if they don't trade for Jimmy, they're not getting Jimmy. Uh, but I think 
the other thing with Jimmy, though, c- c- compared to Kawhi, is, you know, Jimmy's three years older than Kawhi. Jimmy has a lot more mileage on him. Uh, Jimmy has those Tibbs miles on him. So I'm, I'm of the belief that the Jimmy contract, you know, if you're signing him to a five-year deal, which would happen if you, if you traded for him, uh, years four and five of that deal are going to be terrible. I'd be very shocked if, if 34 and 35-year-old Jimmy Butler is still an elite player just with all the mileage and the injuries he's racked up. So um, that concerns me. And if, if you're looking at it where, like, if I'm trading That's why you get Kawhi Leonard too, right? To well, yeah, I mean, help that the load heat, and help the burden. Yeah. Let's say if you're the Heat, like realistically, let's let's say let's say they do the trade, they get Jimmy Butler. What are the Heat? The Heat, I would say, at best are are the fourth best team in the East, but not even with the way Milwaukee's looking. Like they're probably the, yeah. the fifth best team. And what does that get you? Like you know, maybe a second round uh, appearance, and then they're not really like they're trading Bam, Josh Richardson. You don't have a lot of young guys that are going to improve on this team. Um, maybe they find a couple gems, as you as you you know say they kind of do every year. But I'm just like that team kind of has a ceiling. Like they're they're probably a three to five seed. They're they're not beating the Celtics. They're probably not beating the Raptors as long as Kawhi's there. Like I just think like what what's your path to to actual contention? I don't know if it's Jimmy Butler. Like it's Jimmy Butler and something else, but. You know, your kind of goal is... Well, I think that would be the plan, right? Is they would get Jimmy Butler now, and Pat Riley was like, all right, that's step one, and then we work on finding somebody else later. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's better to always have a star than not have a star. We see with these star trades, yeah. like, usually the team that gets the star wins the trade. And you could even say with the... With the I think I think people have been hard on the, the, the mellow trade, but, like, with, with, the, with, you know, Gallinari's injury history, with the way Raymond Felton aged, with, with Wilson Chandler's injury history, like... With you know, with Mozgov being Mozgov, like you can't say that the Knicks didn't win that trade. Like you know, maybe they would have been better if they had kept Gallinari and Chandler and, and just signed Carmelo. But like they won that trade, I, I think pretty you know emphatically. So I think almost every superstar trade, the the you know the, the team that's trading for the star wins. It's just what does that get you? And I think if your goal is to actually contend, uh, I'd be hesitant to trade for Jimmy Butler. Kawhi to me was a no-brainer. You should have given up stuff to get Kawhi. Uh, you know, he's that type of game changer. Jimmy is in that kind of second tier for me of like, you know, guys in the 10 to 15 range where they're not necessarily going to make you a contender straight up if you if you acquire them. Uh, I think Kawhi is on that short list uh, one healthy. Yeah. All right, Yovan. We we got the dust off. Uh, we're we're back in regular back. season form. The rust is over. We are. I think we're or our juices are flowing again. Like you're, oh, yeah. you battled road rage. Um, I got the road it's rage. Late from the other East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got Lakers, Blazers tonight. I'm excited about. There's uh, all kinds it's of stuff, but I'm just glad the NBA is back because the best thing ever is back in our lives, and uh, we can talk about this all the time. So, um, Yovan and I will be talking basketball a bunch this season. So. Um, Yovan, I will have you back on very soon. Um, enjoy traffic, enjoy Los Angeles, and uh, we will talk soon, sir. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. The mayor of Rosita, California, Derek Montilla, Mr. Arizona, the Steel Cage co-host. Derek, good evening. How are you? I, I am good. It's the sports equinox, so I got all the sports happening right now at once. 
Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing to have happen in your life. Sure. Sure. I guess. I mean, I like sports. It's 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 fun to have more than enough sports. It's like WWE. It's fun to have more than enough wrestling that I could even keep up on. Yeah. Um, well, the WWE, they want to make sure that your Wednesdays are as jam-packed with professional wrestling content as humanly possible. I think that's their, their goal for the 2019 year is Correct. to jam pack like all day coverage, all day action, everything else. I don't think they have enough things going on Wednesdays, right? No, not at all. They need more. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they need it. it it's, it's the raw of, of like network days, if you will. It's, it's the excessive amount. It's one hour too much. I am, uh, I root for the WWE UK guys. I hope that they all do well. I like I love Pete Dunne, love Tyler Bate, all those guys. I will never watch one second of WWE UK. Oh, I, I don't. I'm not giving them more of my content time. Like I oh. no, I, I yeah. don't have time. I can't invest in another product. I, like I love the cruiserweights. I can't give them. I give them the main event. That's it. That's all you get from me. You get me. Buddy Murphy is too good for me not to watch. I will watch Buddy Murphy matches, but like you just don't get Noam Dar versus. Uh, I mean, you name it, TJP, whoever. Like I, I can't. There's just too much. I have to pick and choose. And um, no, I, I felt bad because that was my first thought. Was like when I saw that was debuting this week. <sighs> I don't know. I, I can't. I can't commit to yeah. another one. Yeah, I I watched it live, and I think that's the one thing I good? like about it. It's 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 a show. Mm-hmm. It happens. Belts, sure, beautiful belts. I own one. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not Which super one? proud of that. The UK Championship because it's gorgeous. Mm. Is it even Pete Dunne? Oh no no no! Like the belt. No, I like the belt. I like mm. the belt. Um, I'm also a fan of UK wrestling in general. I knew where this was going. So I, I like the concept of it being a newer championship that doesn't have a lineage, you know, that it's lineage is, is short and, and relatively newer. I would like to get, sure. have the champions that uh, have all held it. Uh, I could still have them all sign it. So that's one thing that's (laughs) nice about this belt. Yeah. Wouldn't be that hard to track them down. Um, this makes it five years. Yes, I think it's going to exist for longer than that. I think what you don't see is the global aspect to this. The fact that they can now sign UK wrestlers that don't have to leave the UK. They can have completely different tours going on in the UK. It's just part of WWE's global domination of wrestling is what they're trying to trying to get to. They're trying to get to a point where they can have so many tours and so many things going on that they literally have like five WWE events all happening at once on the same day in different cities all around the world without a problem. They're, they're pretty close to that right now. Uh, the, the UK brand in general has been a long-term goal. Um, like back, back in the day when they first, uh, signed a guy named Seamus and, uh, right. put him on the roster. The rumor was that they wanted to have a UK brand. So mm-hmm. they finally got to that point. And I mean, like, look at Just guys time for him to retire. Sure. You know, Hey, but you know what? Here's the thing is let's say he gets to his Mark Henry years. Let's say he gets to that point. He gets to the big show years, you know, the, the years where, I mean, I wasn't actually joking there. Isn't he like wrapping up soon with his back stuff? I thought he was like, this is the bear, the bear. Like this is, it really might be the end for Seamus as a professional wrestler. 
Well, here's the thing is my, my point being is at least, um, having this thing exist gives them the opportunity. If guys like him or let's say McIntyre or whatever wanted to go do a, a year back home or where they're from or whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of opportunities once they expand that brand. I don't see it as just being an NXT where it's just going to be a developmental thing. I think it'll be a thing where a lot of wrestlers just stay there. I think that's, it's going to be its own brand. It's going to be its own thing. Um, I, for one, like the fact that it's live. If they keep doing this the way they did, it's, happening in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. I like that. I'm at work. I have nothing else to do. It's cool to catch an actual show going on. I feel that same way about network specials that occur on like Fridays in the morning or whatever the hell that they have going on. You know, uh, it's just Unless different they're happening in Saudi Arabia. Oof. Yeah. I'm, I, I can't co-sign any Saudi Arabia events at this point. Uh, but yes, you know I who think... can because they make a lot of money. Uh, the, the WWE. WWE. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those tensions are running high, and I think things are going to escalate to a point where it might possibly be moved, but it's not going to not happen. I don't think it's going to be moved because I don't report, think it I think, is. I, I think there's too much money at stake. Oh, I, I think agree. That I agree. They literally, I, I just, it, it's actually so ridiculous the amount of cash flow coming in here that right. I'm just like, there's no way Vince McMahon, who there is a reason that this guy had Donald Trump come in and pretend to buy the company and had that big feud. He thinks the same way Donald Trump does. Like it's, it's all greed focused. It's all money focused. It's one of those things where that's his priority. Like he doesn't care. And that's been one of the most annoying things about the company is when they try to do all this stuff and then they, they've gotten better in a lot of ways. A lot of that seems to be like triple H and Stephanie and all that kind of stuff. But like the idea that they were just going to move, like unless it gets so bad, but I mean, the Undertaker, when he mentioned Crown Jewel, got booed this week. So maybe that's like uh, one sign that maybe they won't do it. But like, I just, I think there's just too much money. And like, that's at the end of the day, all this company cares about. There's no soul. Like, it's one of those things. They don't, they don't give a shit. Like, yeah, no, no, they don't care. They've grown way they past They wouldn't have gone in the first place. They're like, too big The idea that. that they have like Jerry Lawler and Randy Orton, everybody else coming out there being like, well, you know. Uh, I think if we keep going, they'll eventually let women have matches. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Just because you keep doing it and you're taking the money for them not like that, that doesn't make any sense because you're you're operating on the assumption that eventually they'll change their mind. Like, well, what no, they're what they're, what they're operating the under wrestlers there. Yeah, what what they're operating under the assumption is is that they've already helped make progress by by yes. being there yeah. because they didn't even allow like Western forms of entertainment in Saudi Arabia like this before. So they think just being there in general, or at least they're trying to portray that being there in general is a history making event, which it's not to say it is or it's not. But the problem is is you're doing that at the sacrifice of uh, not only your female performers, but Sami Zayn, who can't go right. there to religious persecution. You know, that's that's a whole other thing. It's it's really a sensitive matter, and it's really like the timing couldn't be better, honestly, that this happened. Because WWE already was showing questionable morals by going there in the first place. Then yeah. they showed even more questionable morals coming back less than six months. Like it's it's like the thing of you know a did you single. Know, did you realize that they had this long term deal with them? I didn't realize that there was this yes. many bookings. I, I I missed that part of this. Well, like they, this is like a long term agreement. What's really going to be interesting is what happens after this. Yeah, uh, and 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 future events. At this point, 
as disgusting as it is that they're going there admits uh, amidst this whole controversy. I can't really blame them because of the fact that it's like so far in progress at this point. It's not like we're talking about an event that's going to happen in April. We're talking about an event that's here now, and we still don't have, quote, unquote, a clear answer on who killed this journalist, right? But um, all signs point to exactly what everybody thinks is going on, and I don't think that it's going to really change. I just think that we're going to get a confirmation at some point, and I think at that point the WWE is like at this point, they're already too far committed to doing it. But at that point, it might happen like days within the event. My concern now is what you were talking about as far as this whole situation goes. I feel like the WWE is now putting even the safety of their performers and their crew in danger potentially yeah. amidst this entire situation i don't think that they're thinking it through that way i don't think that they're being careful i don't think that they're protecting you know valuable celebrities that could potentially have you know not be allowed to leave the country once they're there or some crazy shit might happen if all of this goes south you know it's it's dangerous and i think that that's one of the sad things is, is that they're putting the well-being of their performers even above you know, their desire to be, or below, I guess, their desire to make money. Yeah. Um, And then you have the evolution event, by the way, which is also the most transparent thing ever. Uh, You even have women that are involved with that, uh, side-eyeing the WWE, both literally and figuratively when it comes to this event. Uh, Aside from Charlotte and... Uh, Becky Lynch, the entire SmackDown women's roster is being put into a battle royal. That's oh their my God, whole, the battle royal stuff. That's the that's their whole uh, highlight at this all-female event is that they get put into a battle royal. Not even just that. All the part-timers coming in and getting main event spots. And like sure. the, main, the biggest match on the WWE Evolution card is a former UFC fighter and the headliner of the Divas division that you're trying to forget, Nikki Bella. Like. Yeah. It's just little things like that. I just, they take two steps forward and then they take like seven steps back with certain stuff. And I I just, it's just transparent. It's transparent and it comes with, it comes with a little asterisk next to it, despite the fact that they're trying to claim history. Um, You know, it's, it's just indicative of their entire patting themselves on the back about the history they're making. But meanwhile, we're sitting there going, yeah, just do it instead of talking about it. Like, talk about the history you made down the road when you look back on this. Don't sit here and talk about how, hey, yesterday we had a bunch of women perform in the main event. History. We did history. We're history now. That was historic. This is history. You know, it's it's rather annoying. And I feel like this event is going to be filled with that. You know, it's going to talk all about how historic they are for making an all-women's event. Meanwhile, all-women you know, wrestling organizations and federations have been, you know, in going for years and have had successful Shimmer events. and like, Shimmer, uh, stardom. And, I mean, yeah. so many things that you could look at that already, uh, you know, exist that, that highlight women and women as performers, you know, in the way that WWE just recently over the last 10 years started, you know, highlighting women as performers. So it's, 
It, it is I what it is. I think we're getting but... closer and closer. We were talking off air about Stephanie wanting to eventually have as many female wrestlers as male wrestlers on the roster. And I don't think that's ever going to be the case. But what I do mm-hmm. think is going to be interesting over the next couple of years to monitor is whether or not the company creates their own, like they like branch off and literally just have a women's, like it's still the WWE, but it's just like this whole new set of, like it's just a, the WWE. Right. Like I I don't want to say subsidiary or anything like that. Cause I feel like that would, you know what I mean? Where it's just, I think eventually if they want to have tag team champions and another minor champion underneath the, the women's champion, the top title, like if they want to get to that point and they want to keep adding more and more talent, there's just not enough room on the main roster. And eventually you're going to have to make some tough choices of like, do we like, what do we do here? Do we expand every show to like six hours a piece to get all these matches on? How do you fit all these on a pay-per-view? Like I, I think there are real questions and I mean, there's no quality control in this company and there's no foresight. So I don't think they're going to plan for this or anything like that. But I do think eventually they're going to have to make a tough choice of like, Oh, do we just pull Sasha Banks and everybody else off raw and SmackDown and create whole new shows and start over basically with like, let's have a, the female raw equivalent. And then the SmackDown I- equivalent, like, I, I wonder think, if that's what they have to I do. I think I think Stephanie McMahon says lots of things, and I think right. you're buying into it too much. I do think that they want their women's roster to be more substantial. I yep. think they don't want it to be exactly what it is. I think that they would like to have more women rotating in and out. You know, sometimes, especially if they have an injury, it really exposes how you know thin their roster is, right? But it is what it is. It's it's going to grow. They are going to get more women. They're going to retain more of these women from these, you know, the the May Young Classic tournaments that they keep doing. I don't know how many they're going to be able to do, and I don't know how long they're going to be able to constantly feature new talent. I would like to see the May Young Classic, you know, in seven eight years from now, feature like the women from the WWE roster. You know, have. Candice LeRae matching up against Asuka and, you know, around and have, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. That would be exciting. I think that they just need to start treating women like an equal part of the roster. Um, it, it has less to do Let with them interact that, with everybody. Like the yes. next challenge thing where it's like, Oh wow, look what you can do when you actually have yes. everybody interact yeah. with each other and they have, don't just stick it to their two segments every week. Yeah. Kayfabe relationships. Cause let's R- be honest. Ruth and Carmella turns it's fantastic. out that works. Oh, yes. it works so well. It works so well. And it was fun. She looks amazing by the way, on the, uh, on the opening segment. Uh, I dig the purplish hair. I like her whole look. She looked great. It's fun. I was glad to see that, you know, our, our truth has reinvented himself. I mean, our truth right now has, uh, has shown that, uh, at any point you can get a run. Uh, mm-hmm. It's happened. Gold dust. would have ever predicted he would open SmackDown 1000. Could right. you like, what were, if we had to do the odds on that, like six months ago, even a couple of years ago. So guess who's going to open SmackDown 1000. Ooh. I don't think anybody would have our truth. Tell me our truth. Yeah, nobody in what a talk show segment that someone else is hosting. No, he's hosting <laughs> it. And oh. then Vince McMahon is going to orchestrate a dance off to close the. Opening. No, you're drunk, sir. Yeah, no way would that ever happen. Uh-uh. But it goes to show that if it's uh, if it's popular and you know you f- you figure something out, our truth didn't even have to do anything drastic. He just no. whittled away his bumbling 
Mr. Magoo type character into it's great. a perfect thing. Well, yeah, because he's worked at it for years. Mm-hmm. He's figured out what's cheesy, what's not. He's kind of gotten rid of all that. Even the cheesy stuff is fun. His uh, timing's so, great. He's yeah, believable. Right. It's just he knows who he is. He knows his character. He knows how to do this. Like he said, it's just years of uh, putting it together. And it also goes to show like it kind of brings it back and makes me think about like the NXT guys who spend years or a certain amount of time developing a certain character or gimmick and they get called up and they change things up like the yes. insanity and all these different yes. it's like yeah. what is the point of this like well, why do you it's because it's in the hands of different people different right. people that don't watch NXT so they don't really understand what their character was other than what they're being told they might watch some tape they might catch up here and there it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about too much content Vince McMahon doesn't even watch NXT you think Vince McMahon is watching 205 live or any of that other shit if he's not watching NXT absolutely not Vince McMahon doesn't have time for that neither do any of us the WWE isn't intending for any of us to watch it but the problem is is that their production crew and staff their writers and such even don't have time necessarily to watch other shows because they're so busy being on the move and planning their own shows that they're focused and dedicated to that they don't really have a chance to kind of absorb what made you know people special like it bums me out to this day that we never saw a face run for the Wyatt family the way that they had briefly in NXT because it was absolutely Mm. beautiful it was beautiful and if they would have seen that and kind of absorbed that I think at some point before they broke the group up they would have at least done that because it was it was really successful and it, it was way more positive than I ever thought that it could be but um I don't know. Are you out on Bray Wyatt or are you back when he comes back? Are you, is it one of the, is he one of those guys that you can never quit or no? No, I won't quit on him. I won't quit on a lot of these guys because I think that 28, he's been in the main roster for like 10 years and he's only like 28 years old. The problem personally is that uh, some guys like him, I feel like, you know, I can see them starting to get sick of the WWE machine. Um, Mm -hmm. He seems like too strong willed of a person in, in real life to be tied to the rules and regulations of what they're doing. Obviously he, he didn't care enough to be seen cheating on his wife. So I was going to say, I feel like there was a joke with the way you framed all. No, I didn't. I didn't want to joke about it because it's not funny, but it is kind of brazen to do that in front of people when you're such a public figure as if that shit's not going to get back to your significant other. It's ridiculous. And it just goes to show a kind of rebellious attitude of being like, well, I don't care. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so as far as Bray Wyatt goes, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. He's one of those guys that I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, end his tenure with WWE and have a really successful indie run. Uh, I think that that groundwork has been laid. I think that the people can see that the opportunity there to make money is out there. So I don't think guys are going to be as afraid of that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a reduction in the roster uh, of certain guys. I don't think Bray Wyatt's going to be one of them, but I do think that there's way too many useless guys on the roster with the amount of talent that they have. You know, it just has to get to a point where they're going to whittle it down. Uh, Austin Aries they need to leave. Instance, guys need to leave. Impact's oh, getting good. Like Impact with Don Cows and everybody oh, else running the show, it's, it's improving. Great. And I was just going to say, Austin Aries was kind of one of the first. You know, now we're seeing Neville pop back up. But Austin, you know, Austin Aries is an interesting story because obviously he had attitude problems with the WWE, but we see how he has now left his tenure with Impact Wrestling at Bound for Glory, where he basically no sold uh, Johnny. 
whatever his Impact. name is this week. Uh, Johnny Survivor. I'm going with Johnny Survivor. He goes by Johnny Impact, and his Twitter handle is still John Morrison. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. He goes by Johnny Impact. He goes by Johnny Mundo. He goes by Johnny mm-hmm. Defiance. He goes What's by Johnny Survivor. Um, I, I'll always go Nitro. I, I, I'll always have a soft spot for Nitro. I frankly am convinced he stole mayor of Slamtown from me being the mayor of Reseda after we met. Ooh. But I'm just okay. saying he so did. You're feuding have... with Johnny Impact. Oh, no, okay. no, I am. No, I am a proud, proud member of the Worldwide Underground. Uh, Johnny Impact, when I worked for Lucha Underground, gave me a, a headband that he okay. did, put into production. So I have a special mm. limited edition American flag uh, Worldwide Underground headband. Uh, okay. And- they also jumped in at one point, so that's a whole other story. Mm. But um, yeah, those guys are all great. All the Lucha Underground okay. guys are great. I think Impact has been very smart about bringing that particular group of guys that they did. They made Lucha Underground in my, or excuse me, uh, Impact Wrestling. In my opinion, they made it into a televised version of PWG. If you look at PWG over the last three years, some of the best talent that they had in PWG that hasn't been scooped up by WWE is now wrestling in Impact, including the Lucha brothers as a tag team which the first time i really saw them here in the states as the lucha brothers was in pwg you have you know brian cage running around john morrison you have uh quite a few guys uh, xavier uh and and uh desmond xavier, xavier uh, and, and uh sammy callahan zachary wentz the rascals their tag team champions mm-hmm. in pwg you have a lot of the good Really Pentagon, Phoenix, Pentagon, Seidel. You just have a lot of the good talent that I personally would pay to go see at a PWG show all at impact. And it's smart. It's it's, well, that's what we really good. I don't know if you you thought about this when it first happened, but when Jeff Jarrett brought about global force wrestling and impact became global force and all that stuff, it was like what they should have done from the get go. is what they're doing now, which is like, go be a global brand. Like, WWE is trying to like build different spots all over the globe and like have like different infrastructures all over the place. Yes. Global force could have done it with what they're doing now where they just bring in all this different talent. That's all yeah, you do they, is like, they you don't just push them... all these different countries and you yeah. just have them all over the place. You have some new Japan, you have Tanahashi come in, you have yeah. Will Ospreay come in, you have all these random yep. guys from all over the globe. And that's what makes it global force wrestling. That's what Honestly. they should have done from the start. Honestly, it's not just that, but uh, the you know some of their episodes where they've literally just featured tapings from things like Smash Wrestling in Canada and right. other promotions around the world. Like that's smart. smart. If yes. they've had matches from Noah, I believe on Impact Wrestling with like Moose in them and such. So it was it was smart. It's it, that that truly was like what the vision was. What like what you're talking about, but it didn't happen until long after Jeff Jarrett was gone. Um, but this, this recent incarnation, especially with Don Callis on the mic, um, has been really enjoyable. I've just really enjoyed, you know, watching it. I think each week it provides a really good show. And I, I just think that their talent is finally exactly where, you know, they want it to be. It's getting to the point now where their talent's getting poached by, you know, uh, WWE recently, uh, Chelsea green has been signed by WWE and appeared in her official performance center shirt, uh, along with, uh, Mia Yim and Matt Riddle was part of that, uh, punishment Martinez from ring of honor. He was surprised because I didn't know I heard WWE had interest in him, but I didn't know he'd already signed. So is he good? Um, he's a good big man. And I think he's going to be really successful in WWE because they love the big men. And I think his, 
I think his gimmick will be good. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I, I, I would see big things for him. I think he's going to be a big star in WWE. Yeah. Uh, I'm concerned about Riddle, but I think that he has really? the, um, I'm concerned about Riddle on the main roster, not in NXT. It'd be cool to see like Riddle stick around in like the UK brand and stuff like that stuff. He's already familiar with where he already has a huge fan base built. Um, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the WWE will appreciate his particular style as much as uh, a more hardcore fan base. Hmm. He, he does, you know, he does a lot of MMA stuff. He does a lot. I don't know. I don't know, but that—that's that, the point I'm of being not, there. Well, right? I don't think They'll, we should just be worried about Riddle. I think we should be worried about every NXT guy because guess what? The dirty little secret is, you—it doesn't work. Like their minor league division does not work. No, it doesn't matter. Whatever you are in NXT does not matter. Oscar, look at the year she's had. She's just off television now. She's just not a part of SmackDown basically anymore. Yeah. You have Shinsuke Nakamura with the year that he had. Andrade Cien Almas will just disappear for weeks on it. He was the biggest deal on NXT for a solid year basically. Like he was but, putting on incredible uh, paper. Uh, see, that's the problem though. Is I think we're just too impatient with that, and we think too highly of these guys being featured every week as a success for them. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's Almas, one of those who should be though, right? If you wait, want the audience wait, to wait, know wait, who wait. this guy is, my you point, have to have him featured early and often. My, my point about Cien Almas is overall, well, I mean, he's a heel, so it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter about people knowing who he is like that. People are going to know who he is. They're not going to forget guys just because they leave. Uh, the, the leaving only brings up an appeal and, and a desire to see them more. I think the thing I with think these guys. I think that works for established guys, though, not new guys. Not I don't think it helps people. Like, look at Sanity. I don't think but it people, helps them that they're not all... around ever. People already said this about Cien Almas before he had this run of success in NXT. They already branded him a, 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 a failure in WWE. So that's the point is look at what he became in NXT. And then look at the high profile matches that he's had on, on SmackDown. They featured him against Daniel Bryan several times. They featured him against AJ Styles. He has been featured against the best of the best. It's kind of like Shelton Benjamin now kind of being featured against the best of the best. Some of these guys, if you're mentioning those two together, I I hope he's, he does not go on the Shelton Benjamin track. I no, I don't. Case. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he has far more character and far more appeal. Uh, I think he's a much better heel. I frankly think the WWE are going to form their own version of Ingobernables in WWE. Is what they're going to. Mm. I think so that who's in it? Um, Hideo Tommy. Okay. Uh, stay with the two of them and I don't know who else could they give them. They need a heavy of some kind. Um, Rusev? But no, nobody like that. I think it would be somebody probably younger. You know, I don't know. Okay. I, I I wouldn't. Bull I would. Dempsey. Oh, he's gone. I love Bull. <laughs> uh, Did I you? Just, he was awful. Don't you freaking dare talk badly <laughs> about Bull. He follows me on Twitter, so I can't say oh, bad about him. Well, That's you just lost a follow if he listens. Are the this. rules? No, yeah. no. I'm gonna defend him. Are you? Oh, yeah. You think he's good? Yes, I actually think Bull Dempsey is good. I actually enjoyed his work. I thought he was fun. I thought he was a good he character. Was atrocious, dude. Oh, you stop it. What would you this... rather watch? A an ascension match or Bull Dempsey singles match? Oh, Bull Dempsey, hands down. Mm. Hands down. Hands gotcha. down. Perfect. Um, is Conor Reeves good? No. No. He's pretty terrible. I don't know. I again Guess what? I... He's gonna be the next Vince McMahon guy. Sure. Right. I'd, I read about it. 
I'm not surprised about that with the whole hair thing and the, you know, rich kid thing he's got going on. He's got like uh, a main event version of Bo Dallas's character from years ago. It's really weird where it's like the Bo leave and it's like very tongue in cheek, very ironic, all that kind of stuff. But like, it's clear that Connor Reeves is not the finest and is actually not very good. And none of this makes sense, but it's, he's in his own world. He's very delusional, that kind of thing. But I don't know. It, his, it, he did not have a great match with Keith Lee, I'll say. You know what I think is, first of all, I love Keith Lee, but he's another guy I'm he's worried good. about on the main roster. Frankly. You should be worried about all of them because they're not going to work out. This is super cynical, whatever, but like... God, you're the worst. Why do I none do of this them are going to work out. So sad. Why are they never going to work out? Nah, I don't because believe Because Vince that. McMahon is going to get a, his hand on him. Road Dog, all of them. Guess what? It doesn't work out for any of these guys. The Shield are still going to dominate the main roster for a while. Like There are guys who can break through, but it's not because of what they did on NXT. It's just they got they lucked out. Drew McIntyre? Lucked out, man. Like That guy is now in a great position, But and I know you're really happy about this. He, I love that it's worked out for him. But guess what? It just Jinder Mahal got almost a year long title run. His WWE title run is still, I want to say, like one of the longest of like the last like five years. It's insane that happened. But like the idea that Johnny Gargano is going to be in good shape when he gets called up, people are out of their mind. Like that dude's going to 205 Live. They're like, you better enjoy your time now because it's not going to work. The one I care about is Ciampa because I really do think he can be a top heel wherever he goes. Like he is so damn good at being the villain. But I think. If you put him on the main roster, it's just not going to work. And Vince is going to take one look at him and be like, oh, no, this dude's jobbing. Again, these are things that were said about AJ Styles. And now look at the run he's had as champion. No, I'm talking about when he when he debuted in WWE. And any of us thought that I think. Oh, there was lots of that. Don't even get me wrong. There were lots of that. Because that's the because thing. Do you think that's going to be the case for Kenny Omega? Because he's skipping NXT if he ever signs. He's going straight to SmackDown or Raw. Kenny Omega is going to show up with the Bucks. Okay, they're they're all going to sign with WWE. Where does Cody Cody fit? Cody will not be signing with the WWE. Interesting. So you don't think it's a package deal like widely expected? You think it's just like the trio? Oh yeah, no, I don't think Cody's part of it. Uh, I don't think I don't think no Hangman is part of it, and I don't think Marty Skrull is a part of it. Okay, I think. I don't think Kota Ibushi is a part of it. Yeah, Kota should not. He's someone who's in great position in New Japan. But then again, you read the reports about the new management in New Japan, and that's like the biggest reason as to why all these guys might actually jump ship is that they don't really necessarily want to, but they're getting lowballed and they don't like the new management. And like you, you read the reports of who the new uh, commentary teams are going to be, and you're like, oh, New Japan's going to squander all this momentum that they have and all this stuff. So I don't know. It might be a talent purge from New Japan just because of the new management and all that kind of stuff. So I, apparently New Japan is on the verge of becoming the New York Knicks is what it sounds like, or the Sacramento Kings. That's too bad because yeah. they actually have something really good going and they have a really good growing fan base here in the United States. And if they start to lose all their gaijin, it's going to unfortunately diminish their their you know hold in the wwe uh the w the, their roster Give me okada is... man i'm ready let's get him my man again you never know you know I want him an impact i don't want him going to he's already been an impact i'd like for him to go there i think he'd have a lot of fun on impact that would, wrestling and that I, would, I'd love to that would blow me away i mean oh, they man. 
And they're starting, I mean, at the very least, I like the direction Impact's going. Uh, I think that they're smart in their signings. They just reportedly signed Jordan Grace to a two-year deal. She's amazing, and she is going to be such a star on TV. Jordan Grace? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just an indie wrestler. Okay. No but she's amazing. No uh, she, had a, she was in All In. She dumped Brian Cage out of the Battle oh, Royal I match. Oh, I you're talking about. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. The over yeah. the budget mm-hmm. match. Yeah, she's amazing. And she fought Brian Cage in a match later that looked pretty awesome, but I never got a chance to see. Uh, Are you a oh, Brian no. Cage guy? Oh, yeah. Brian okay. Cage is a pal of mine, so I'm a strong Brian Cage what fan. What indie superstar or indie darling are you not pals with? Lots of them. Mm, but I don't Brian, Cage, Brian Cage. Don't is... let Derek fool you. Derek is like the ki- like. Not only is he the mayor of Rosita, every indie wrestler loves Derek. And how could you not? He's he's the best. But Do you know why? He's, he's is because I like to talk. Here. I, I like to talk to them about things that aren't wrestling related, and that's mm. uh, there's there's your key to talking to any indie wrestler is talk to them about something that's in their interest. Mm-hmm. As Derek's dogs make an appointment here, they're all they're all in. Mm. That's a good reference. Uh, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, I need to get your opinion on evolution laying the foundation to a Batista Triple H match because that was like the rumor for like the last couple of years, right? Is Batista has been willing to come back, but he only wants to come back to face Triple H. And the fact that the there was just no level of subtlety to the Triple H Batista stuff on SmackDown this week, and then the post stuff, um, is this a good idea? And also. How bizarre is it they're doing this evolution thing right as DX comes back? So you have like Shawn Michaels and DX. Like, is that a different Triple H character? And is another Triple H character the NXT commission? Is another one the Raw commission? Like, he's like 19 different characters right now. Like, Leo Rush and Drake Maverick are having to juggle two different characters on two different shows. Triple H is basically like 35 different people right yeah, now. Yeah, he's, he's Mick Foley. He's, he's the three yeah. faces of Foley right now. Uh, he really is. That's a great... <laughs> So my first my my first uh, answer would be no, I don't think it's a great idea. But I do think that uh, Batista is amazing. I think it's going to be really cool to see him back. I did like this segment a lot, and uh, awesome, man. yeah, he was they so already good in this segment. They already had like a pretty good groundwork laid by him not being really invited to come to the, you know, um, to SmackDown and then that changing. Right. So all of that, I don't know if that was kayfabe or not, but it worked out splendidly. Um, they, I'm sorry, the Cardinals, like on the second play from scrimmage gave up a, a interception and a touchdown. And I literally can't even function any longer. I'm so angry Wait, right why? now. The Cardinals are the uh, uh, right now. Oh, shut up. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, I think that it's a high-profile match. My problem now is is that I feel all of these high-profile matches are just getting set up for these super pseudo-house shows in foreign countries. So if that's the case, then it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed that the Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles championship match is taking place at Crown Jewel. I felt that's a really epic match, and I feel like that should take place at a more significant venue than, again, one of these glorified type house shows. I think that it's not going to, that means it's not going to have a finish. I think The Miz is going to interrupt that match and cause Daniel Bryan his championship. And I think it'll somehow. Is that a story they're telling? That this is going to eventually be a triple threat? Of course. It has to be. And then Miz has to win it, and then Daniel Bryan has to win it from oh, Miz. So you WrestleMania. think Miz is going to win it? I think Miz needs to win it, and then Daniel Bryan needs to win it from Miz. 
think that's okay. the way that this needs to end. Mm. I'm still dedicated to that. But anyway, uh, I think that the Triple H Batista match is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a good uh, story. I'm just wondering about their ability to put on you know, good match. I don't know. I don't really care about that, I guess. I think I just want to see Batista back in the ring kicking Triple H's ass. I'm all for that. Uh, and I'd like it to be, you know, that that to me is a WrestleMania quality match. Uh, oh, no, not at all. I yeah. don't want to see that. No, because that's oh, getting like 30 yes. minutes with entrances and everything else. Yes. No. Yes. Dude, Triple H Undertaker was Come enough on. for me to never want to see any of these guys wrestle ever again. Oh, you're that gonna get them at every WrestleMania, man. You're always gonna no. be one of these old timer matches. Yeah, it's no, I don't want it. I don't want that. It's that doesn't mean, I, I agree I with care. you that it's gonna happen, but I don't want it. Well, that's where this should happen. This no, should it should happen. not happen at all. Yes, like, I don't think this come down in a spaceship, any... and I think he should be escorted by the raccoon and the tree, and it should be awesome. What if they just didn't do this and just let Batista talk? That'd be cool. Because mm, mm. Batista is a great talker, and he was hilarious here. I am more concerned with his ability to actually still wrestle, and I'm also concerned with his ability to hurt himself. I don't want him to do yeah. that either. But Also, uh, is Randy Orton no longer a psychopath? Is that over? Oh, that was just over for that night. No, he's still totally... Uh, he wasn't doing it last week either. Oh, he's going to poop in someone's duffel bag and then he'll be a cycle all over again uh i do want to thank dave batista for ending our years-long feud he had blocked me for on twitter and then wait what so oh yeah he didn't have a wrestler that doesn't like you okay oh there's lots of them there's lots of um oh austin aries now from what it sounds like yeah he's a dick bag anyway um (laughs) there's dave batista though he blocked me because i told him that nobody liked him and he blocked me for it. And I think that's a wow. solid reason to block somebody, to be honest. Um, but then Man. after after many years of apologizing, he finally very kindly unblocked me. So I'm a big Dave Batista guy now. Yeah. Well, that's good because I love Batista. Batista's, <laughs> he's great. He is great. So He's great. Uh, anyway, All right, man. Well, I think that does it. I got nothing else. You know, they, yeah. that, I mean, especially a, with the Dimebacks not uh, making the playoffs this year. The Suns are undefeated, and they are they in first are. place right now. With so. no point guard. Shout out to them. Doing it all with no point guard. Um, no, I will say, Derek, and this is going to hurt you. I'm, I'm sorry. I was really, really happy about the Diamondbacks not making the playoffs this year. You're a rotten person. No. Sorry. Take, when you don't pay take, J.D. Martinez, take, you don't deserve it. They pocket. don't deserve it. They didn't have the money to pay J.D. Martinez. I don't believe that at all. Do you know don't buy that. Don't buy that argument. Tomas. Do you know how much money? Yasmani Tomas is the lord and emperor of Reno, Nevada. He makes more money than the top five people in that city combined. There is no money left in the Chase Field Bank. Let me tell you. Please don't believe back, any of this ownership oh, stuff. They, the they have the money. Oh, they're going. They're going. They're going to rebuild phase. Watch Granky. Well, Granky and Goldschmidt. Oh yeah, they're going to go super cheap now. Granky, but Goldschmidt. they were contending. Their window was these next two years, and they blew it. They went cheap, and they deserve to lose every game for the next ten years. I have no idea the damage Dave Stewart did to this team. He freaking. Oh, did I do. I mean, the Braves got a lot of those guys. Thanks for Tuki, yeah. by the way. You can have Dansby back though. I'm going to go now, Chase. I don't like. The direction this took at the end of this podcast, I'm very sad now. I'm going to go back to watching the Phoenix Suns 
And you could go watch Shelby Miller 2018 highlights. You're a garbage person. Thank you so much for having your podcast. Bye, Derek. Bye. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.